0: Good morning. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you this morning. The faith and energy and ministry of this congregation is known far and wide. Uh, I have known many people who have passed through these doors and this is my first opportunity to worship with you and it thrills me more than you probably will never know. I also want to particularly thank Lib for arranging the opportunity for me to be with you this morning, but on a personal level, and she gave me thanks, but I now thank her. She has been the pastor to my parents uh, for many, many years, even up until their deaths. And so live our whole family, thanks you for all you have meant to us and to them. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, 21 and 22, the baptism of the Lord. Listen for the word of God. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered them all by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his right hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. You know, I love baptisms. I'm so glad I was here for Emma Louise this morning. It's such a special time for every family and every congregation. Of course, in our tradition, it is the parents who make the promise and the congregation who likewise makes promises. We promise that we're going to raise the child in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. And in many of our congregations, we also promise that we will teach them the cost of discipleship. Because following Jesus is often not easy and grace is never without cost. But in this sacrament that we witnessed this morning, we sift and seal an eternal truth. This child is claimed by the household of God. We believe in only one baptism. You can't be rebaptized because once God has claimed us, God never lets us go. And so, for the next few minutes, as we consider the scripture passage this morning, think about a baptism that was significant for you. Maybe it was your own if you were baptized as an adult. Maybe it was your child or a grandchild. Maybe it was a niece or a nephew, or I'm sure. Uh, If you need an image, the painters will lend us this morning's image of Emma Louise. You know, I was wearing this stole and this robe when I had the joy of baptizing my own grandson, Sam, at First Presbyterian in New York. It's always a special time. So as you keep that image in your mind, We're going to go through the scripture, and I think this morning's passage gives us three questions to think about. The first is, what was John up to? Why this new tradition of baptizing? What is that all about? The second is, what is the role of prayer in baptism and in our lives of faith? And the third, and I think most important, why does Jesus choose to be baptized? This has confounded scholars for centuries, and we'll see if we can make some sense of it this morning. But first, back to John. What was he doing? Well, I come from Philadelphia although my accent probably doesn't sound like it, having spent most of my 60 years in North Carolina. But in Philadelphia, there was a very prominent statue of Mayor Frank Rizzo. And when I say bigger than life, I mean eight feet tall, a big statue in a public square. Frank Rizzo was known as the law and order mayor that st- statue has recently been removed and a new piece of public art has been commissioned its title is power to the people it is a 10 foot tall afro hair pick at the top of which is the raised fist symbol of black power from last century's civil rights movement it is intended to be controversial. It is intended to create conversation. It is intended to challenge the very assumptions of authoritative police governance in the city of Philadelphia. It's intended to disturb people. It was commissioned for that reason. I think that's what John was up to here. You see, John, just like Jesus, was a devout Jew. He knew the laws of the temple. He knew the rituals of the faith. And before any man, and at that time it was only men, women were excluded, before any man could go to present himself in the presence of God in the temple, he had to become ritually cleansed. He would bathe in what was called a mikvah still in use today the size of a large bathtub or small swimming pool but the important thing about the mikvah is that it can't be still water so elaborate trenches were created to move water into the mikvah and out the other side it had to be moving water living water This is how the ritual cleansing would happen before the temple. So what is John doing? John goes out to the Jordan River. Not only is that the largest moving body of water anywhere near Jerusalem, but it is a border. Today it's a political border, but then it was the border between the kingdom of Israel on the east, where Jerusalem is, The order of the Roman Empire, the law of the temple, and to the west, I'm sorry, to the east is wilderness and chaos. So John is at this intersection of law and order and wilderness and chaos. And he is out in the middle of this living, running water, baptizing, saying... I am baptizing for the repentance of sin. This is an explicit contrast with the temple laws. John's work is symbolic. John's work is radical. John's performance art is meant to confront and confound. Earlier in the script, before the scripture we read, the crowds come out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And John calls them, you brood of vipers. He's calling them hypocrites. Why are you coming out to me? Why don't you go do your ritual? Won't that get you closer to God? And of course, John was saying, no, it's the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is coming near. Jesus and John live into that confrontation. And it costs both of them their lives. John's act is a radical one. And I would argue that baptism today is also a radical act proclaiming our loyalty is to Jesus Christ and God not to any political power but to a higher power. So what is the role of prayer? For Luke... And here we need to be careful. So often we read the Gospels and our minds just work this way. We synthesize everything we read into one narrative of Jesus' life. But I urge you to read the Gospels as individual stories because they tell different truths about God and Jesus. And in this particular element, It's very important. We've all seen the pictures of Jesus' baptism. Jesus coming up out of the water in the river Jordan. John standing there beside him. The heavens open. The dove descends. The voice says, this is my son. We've seen those pictures. But that's not what happens in this passage of Luke. Listen closely. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, this is when the heavens open up. The heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. It is during prayer, not during baptism. We just heard Lib pray as the central part of the baptismal sacrament. It is prayer, and I've been thinking a lot about prayer. Jesus goes away often in the Gospels. He withdraws to pray. This is how Jesus listens to his Father's will. Jesus doesn't pray asking for stuff. He doesn't ask to win the game. He doesn't ask to get the job. He doesn't even ask for healing of loved ones, although we certainly can bring those hopes and desires to God, all things are in order in prayer. But what Jesus teaches, and he teaches us in the, in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, remove this cup from me, but if it be your will, not mine, I'll take it. And so as Jesus is seeking God's will, his identity is confirmed. And this is the miracle of prayer. Because just as God confirms Jesus' identity, we have the same opportunity in prayer with God to know who we are and whose We are. It is indeed a miracle. And now, the big question Jesus was God's son, Jesus lived a sinless life. Why did Jesus choose to be baptized? I think the answer lies in the intersection of incarnation and community. I think these two are inextricable. You hear it even in this congregation. We just heard Jeff talk about traveling to do mission. When we talk about incarnational mission, we mean face to face. Why do we gather in this sanctuary? Earlier, we gathered in a cold parking lot in folding chairs and jackets because it's so important to be together. In community, we don't think of faith as a simply individual thing. It is something we are bound together with. And so Jesus is part of a particular community. You know, I've heard it said that Jesus was born in a, no, in a nothing town in the backwater of an empire of the largest empire on the in the world to a um, to a teenage mother and some interpret that to say god can do anything with even the humblest beginnings but i think that misses some of the point when we say the word became flesh and dwelt among us the word incarnate is not simply the word of Logos, of John 1, of the Word was with God and the Word was God. No, it's all of Scripture. It's the call of the prophets for justice, for the widow, the orphan, the alien. And why those three? Those three groups had no voice in the religious or civil society of the time. And so the prophets called for justice for the least of these. And thus Jesus is born at a particular time, in a particular community, in a particular tradition, as the embodiment of this call for the least of these. And so here comes Jesus to be baptized, fully God, fully human. I've wrestled with that as well. How do we understand these two natures of Jesus? His conception is divine. Our our creed says, conceived by the Holy Spirit. But the very next word is born of the Virgin Mary, born of a woman, born as every human being must be. And Jesus then grew and learned and developed He then was crucified as an insurrectionist. And while the nature of his death is significant, that's the topic of another sermon. What's significant in this passage for us is his death. To live a fully human life, we must be born, but we also all must die. If Jesus had not died a human death, it would not have hallowed all of human life. And then after death, he is raised, he is resurrected and sitteth at the right hand of God. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And I think John the Baptist probably got that part of it right. And so Jesus, fully human, fully divine, Sinless, why did he come to get baptized? I think the answer is having become the word incarnate, become the flesh to live among us, Jesus chooses to take his place in a particular community. He's saying, I'm going to be with the folks out at the Jordan River. I'm going to be with the widows and the orphans and the aliens. I'm gonna be with the people without power. I'm not going to the temple to join the Pharisees. I'm going up there to challenge them, but right now this is my community. I think Jesus also gets baptized as part of the human condition. What is John preaching? John is preaching a baptism of repentance of sin. And we're just not very good at repentance as human beings, are we? We like to justify our own selfishness. We explain away our errors. We commit sin and rationalize. We like to justify ourselves. We're really bad at repentance. And so in baptism, Jesus takes on our repentance us, just as in his death he takes on our sin. This is why we say when someone dies, their baptism has been fulfilled. It is the beginning and the end of the Christian life. Paul says, for if we are baptized in Christ's death that is fully human with Christ, then surely we are raised with him also because he is fully divine. This is the promise of eternal life that we reaffirm every time we baptize a child. And so as I held Sam after sprinkling water on his head, and I walked down the aisle to introduce him to the congregation. I said words that may be familiar to many of you. For this child, Jesus came into the world. For this child, Jesus taught and healed. For this child, Jesus was convicted and crucified. For this child... Jesus rose and now rules, and yet Sam knows nothing of this, but he does know he is loved. This is Sam, the child of a mother and father, a child of First Presbyterian, a child of God. Look what love God has for us that we should be called children of God, and indeed, we all are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.